all for being here. Thank you for my readers and Greg, outstanding worship. What a good time to be together. So welcome to part five of a series that we're doing about developing your identity and doing the things that God has called us to do. It's the whole point of the series is just really understand who are we and what has God called us to do. So the other day I was having breakfast with a good friend of mine, a kind of a mentor of mine, and we were sitting together and he was asking me some questions about how the church is going and we started talking about, you know, what are the things that the global church could be doing maybe a, a better job at right now? And it wasn't, it wasn't a negative conversation, more of a positive, constructive conversation about what could the church be doing? You know, we're all trying to figure out how does the church navigate during COVID and what is that like? And so we started talking about, you know, is the home church model, a better model than the typical church, and the pros and cons in both of those. And as I was talking to my friend and as I drove home thinking about it, I thought, you know, I don't think the biggest obstacle that the church is facing today has anything to do with COVID. And I don't think our biggest obstacle has anything to do with the format of the church service or where we meet. I honestly think one of the biggest problems that we have as people inside of the church is a lack of understanding of how much we really need Jesus. I think sometimes the biggest problem we have is understanding our desperate need for Jesus. I don't think our problem has anything to do with do we gather at, in a home or in a service, or do we gather in pews, or do we gather in a circle, or do we sing three songs or ten songs? I think our biggest challenge is admitting the faults in our life or the difficulties in our life, or the challenging things that we face in our life, and acknowledging we really need Jesus to come help us. I think sometimes as a church and a community, we get a little intimidated to admit some of our struggles. I had a person just say to me the other day, he said, you know, I have a hard time sometimes admitting my needs and my, and my weaknesses, because some people can look at me and think, well, you're not that mature of a Christian, or what's wrong with you? How come you don't have your act? better put together. But see, we're supposed to be weak. We're designed to be weak. We're created by God to actually really, really need him. See, the apostle Paul almost runs out of ink in the New Testament trying to tell us how valuable our weaknesses are. Because of Paul's whole message is when you're weak, God is strong. Because when you're weak, you get really desperate for God to do things in your life. But sometimes we get scared to admit how weak we are. I might struggle with that or I have a propensity to sin in that area or have a vulnerability in that area or I kind of messed up last week. We sometimes feel really scared to be vulnerable. But you know what the truth is? The way we attract non-believers to Jesus is when we are honest about our weaknesses and they see how God makes up for our weaknesses. That looks really attractive to a lot of people. Like, you're still weak. You still deal with insecurity. You still deal with that temptation. But God is so faithful that he helps you through it. That's what the message that people want to hear. See, when we get really honest with our needs, and we can become really transparent, we realize how much we really do need Jesus. But how much we really need his power to work in our life as well for us to do the things he's called us to do. 
I think so often in our American culture, we struggle with a deistic view of God. Kind of the view of God that he came to rescue you, he got you saved, he put you on the right path, gave you a backpack, gave you a couple bucks and packed you on the back and said, hey, I'll see you in 50, 60 years from now. Then we look at following Jesus that way. Kind of got you started, now good luck, we'll see you later. But that's not how it works. That's not an accurate reading of how God encounters people in the Bible. Instead, we see this pattern over and over and over again in the Bible where God intentionally chooses some of the weakest and the most vulnerable and the most helpless people that he can possibly find. And then he looks at those people and says, guess what? I got a really big plan for your life. God always calls people that cannot do it on their own. There's no one in the Bible that God sits back and says, you know, that person got it all figured out. I'll call them. No, God has this pattern if he calls people who cannot do anything on their own. And he says to them, look, I'll be with you and I'll give you my power. And you can do anything that I've called you to do. The major characters in the Bible actually have zero chance of accomplishing anything successful without God coming to them and say, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my presence and I will give you my power. See, what God is looking for is not perfection. God is not looking at any of us saying, okay, you've been really good lately, so you can't. No, what God is looking for, number one, he's looking for somebody who's available, who will simply say, hey, God, you know what, I'll do it. He's looking for people that are teachable. And say, okay, I'll learn a new thing or two. And he's looking for somebody that says, I'll be obedient. I'm going to try to be obedient, but might not do it very good all the time. But you know what, God? I'm available, and I'm teachable, and I want to be obedient. And see, that's how our identity is formed. That's how we begin to understand our purpose in the earth. When we understand how much we intentionally need Jesus. And that's why we're doing this series right now. We're doing this series to talk about spiritual gifts and what God has uniquely equipped us to do with His presence and His power. And we're talking about spiritual formation. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then we're also talking about spiritual conflict. How do we navigate the spiritual conflict that we're always living in between? See, when we talk about spiritual conflict, we talk about spiritual gift, and we talk about spiritual formation, we see those three things converge together. In the middle of that, we start to understand more of our identity in what God has called us to do. So I was listening this week to a video clip. As I mentioned, a friend of ours, Jack Deere, a good friend of Becky's family. Um, he was a former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He said, you know, if you go back 25 or 30 years, most people in the body of Christ did not believe in spiritual gifts. We kind of thought they all passed away. That was, that was for the New Testament time, but they're not for today. But this Old Testament scholar, he says, but now in the current church world, the majority of people in the church believe that the gifts are for today. The majority believe that they are just as relevant for today as they were when Paul walked the earth. However, most people kind of struggle right now to figure out how do you use your spiritual gifts? How do you really do them? How do you identify them? And how do you really walk in them? So as a church, we recognize that that can be a struggle. 
So that's why we're taking this year to really focus on spiritual gifts as well as spiritual formation. And we want to be able to use our Wednesday night gathering as we're with each other to, to focus more on spiritual gifts. Because I want you to think about something that's really profound, and I wish I could take credit for this, but it comes from a friend of mine, a, a pastor in Canada, John Thompson. He says, I want you to think about something for a second because this is a really profound thought. See, for a Christian, the Holy Spirit living in you is the only thing that really distinguishes you from people that don't know Jesus. Sure will. For a Christian, the Holy Spirit living in you is the only thing that really distinguishes you from those who don't know Jesus. Now, that's quite a statement there, that the only thing that makes you different from other people is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. See, when you became a Christian, you received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to work on your behalf. It started working on your behalf to make you, like, make you more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit helped change your heart. Holy Spirit helped to give you new ideas. The Holy Spirit began to convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit showed you how to live and resist temptation. That is what distinguishes us from non-Christians is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We still are human beings that have our faults and our challenges and our obstacles and our weaknesses, but we simply have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to give us power. And see, as followers of Jesus, we need to be leaning into that distinction of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But so often in our American culture, we lean away from that distinction because we're like, that's just a little strange. But God is calling us to live into the distinction of being filled with the Holy Spirit and what that really means. But so often it's hard to rely on spiritual gifts. It's hard to rely on the Holy Spirit because so often in our culture, we kind of value independence. We kind of value doing it on our own. We kind of value, yeah, I can figure it out all by myself. To be honest with you, earlier this week I was texting a friend of mine, Mike, and some of you know him, and I, and I was saying to him, yeah, things are hard and challenging, and just kind of going on, and he wrote me back, he said, hey, you know what, he said, um, if, you, if you need someone to talk to, am I okay? All right. He said, you know, if you need somebody to talk to, just, just call me up, let's talk. And immediately my first thought was, I don't need any help, I'm fine, yeah, this is, I'm okay. And I thought, how easy it is to say to somebody, hey, uh, this is hard going on. And they're like, hey, let's call. Like, no, no, I'm good. It's so easy to do that. But so often God allows us to have challenges and obstacles. So we rely on him, but we also rely on the community that's around us. So today I want to look at the story of Gideon in the Old Testament because Gideon's gifts that God gave him is a foreshadow of spiritual gifts. But before we talk about Gideon, I think it's important to talk about spiritual gifts for a couple more minutes. I want to talk about natural gifts, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the roles or character that each Christian plays as they follow Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I kind of like doing this series because I get to uh, plagiarize as much as possible from my wife's father's book. So that's kind of funny. One of the hard things about this job is I read a lot and I'm always like, Am I like plagiarizing when I'm doing this? But see, this is like a family book, so I can plagiarize as much as I want. And you guys see, wow, he's really smart. No, 
It's my father-in-law. So thank you. That's his, the, probably the best-selling book he wrote was Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. So, um, that's, so a lot of what you're going to hear is from that book, but I'm not giving him credit because that property is owned by the family. So, anyway, <laughs> so it's kind of fun. So anyway, um, so we talk about Gideon. I want to clarify a few questions that we often have when it comes to spiritual gifts. See, one of the first questions that we get a little confused with is about natural giftings versus spiritual giftings. You kind of wonder, like, what's really the difference? Or even like an acquired gifting, like, you know, maybe you weren't good at something, but then, you know, you took a class and you practiced, you got good at it. Does that become a spiritual gift? So, you know, for example, like if you watch like a TED Talk, you know those TED Talks, those famous talks where people get up and they give a 25, 30-minute brilliant talk, and you look at one of those speakers, they're outstanding communicator. I mean, can you look at that person and say, well, that is a spiritual gift of teaching? See, not necessarily. They might be a really good teacher, but they might not have the spiritual gift of a teacher. So let me just kind of start out first to define what is a spiritual gift. So as my father-in-law would say, a spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ, according to God's grace, for use within the context of the body. So what's the difference between natural gifts and talents and a spiritual gift? See, first of all, each of us, we were created in the image of God, so we have a variety of different talents and unique abilities, and these various talents and abilities, they kind of set us apart from other people. But they're not necessarily spiritual gifts. Now, we know that these talents and abilities, they all come from God, so in some way they are a gift because it is from God. However, human nature... Or how about natural talents have nothing to do with being a Christian or even following Jesus? Because we know every single person has a lot of natural abilities. What separates a spiritual gift from a natural talent is in the spiritual gift, it comes with God's presence and God's power. That's what distinguishes. When you use your spiritual gift, you would always manifest God's presence in God's power. And that's the big difference. The spiritual gift is always a guaranteed source of power. Now, we can use our natural gifts and talents and abilities every day to serve the Lord, and we probably do, and that's a good thing to do. But when you use your spiritual gift, it's going to come with God's presence and God's power. Now, let me just a little caveat here. When you talk about spiritual gifts, sometimes it's not a nice, easy outline that you can understand everything perfectly. It's spiritual, and kind of the lines are blurry sometimes, and sometimes knowing when it's a spiritual gift or natural, it's a little bit hard to tell. So it's kind of how we got to learn more by practice than verse learn in a classroom. But we want to use our spiritual gifts. For example, if I have the gift of helps, it's very important for me to put myself in places where I can use my gift of helps because it will always come with the presence and the power of God with it. So that's one of the reasons we really want to identify them. So the next question people have is often, well, what's the difference between spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Think back to Galatians 5, there's 22 to 23, about the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit says love and joy and peace and love and suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. They're listed as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. See, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is kind of normal, expected outcome of Christian growth that people should see in our life. 
Every Christian has a responsibility of growing in their faith and developing more fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's why we are really highlighting a lot spiritual formation. We should all learn to grow in love and peace and patience and kindness. Now, spiritual gifts help us to identify what a Christian does, where the fruit of the Holy Spirit helps us identify what a Christian is, how we are. See, that's God's plan, is that you develop the gifts of the Holy Spirit while you're developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit helps you bring maturity in your life. That's why a lot of people don't like spiritual gifts. Or why a lot of people say, I don't like to go to that church that does a lot of spiritual gifts. Because sometimes churches get so excited about spiritual gifts, they forget you also got to develop spiritual fruit in your life that your maturity needs to be growing, that you need to learn the Word of God more, that you need to be dealing with things of your past. Because if you don't deal with things, they're going to impact the way you use your spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts is not this past that you have, don't have to deal with your character issues in your life. And that's why Paul goes to so much trouble for the book of Corinthians to say to the church at Corinth, hey guys, you got to do things a little bit better. See, the church at Corinthians, they were in 1 Corinthians 13. These people were so excited to use their spiritual gifts that they ignored maturing and doing the things in proper order or doing things showing love and respect. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would, have nothing. I would gain nothing. That's what Paul is saying. You can have the best spiritual gifts in the world, but you don't know how to love people. You don't know how to show kindness. You better just go home. It's not even worthwhile. That's why Paul goes on to say, love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, it's not boastful, or it's not rude, it does not demand its own ways. He's telling us you've got to develop the gift of love. See, in other words, what Paul's basically saying is, you know what? Gifts without the fruit is like having a really expensive car with no tires. It's just not going to go anywhere. So finally, when you look at the spiritual gifts, you kind of understand how to separate natural gifts and spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Then it comes down to the roles and responsibilities of all Christians. It's kind of it's good to know the difference between spiritual gifts and the roles because roles are like the roles and I mean like responsibilities. They're kind of like the fruit of the Holy Spirit because you're expected. Everybody's supposed to do certain Christian behavior in the church. You know, no, none of us can say, you know, well, I don't have that spiritual gift, so I'm not expected to do that. For example, there is a spiritual gift of hospitality. That doesn't mean I can say, well, you know what? I don't have the gift of hospitality, so I don't have to be nice to anybody else. You know, if there's a sign-up sheet to bring a family and need a meal, I can't say, well, I don't have the gift of hospitality. I don't have to sign up. No, you still do it. If I don't have the spiritual gift of hospitality, that doesn't mean I can deny letting my neighbor borrow my lawnmower when he does lawnmower doesn't work. No, I still do that kind of stuff. But see, it's kind of nice when you have the spiritual gift of hospitality because then you really enjoy doing it. You get a lot of pleasure out of it. It's really exciting for you. It's really easy for you. And also, your neighbor enjoys it a whole lot more when you have the spiritual gift. 
Because your gift always comes with power. And your gift always comes with the presence of God. So when you have that spiritual gift, the recipient on the other end is like, whoa, you're really blessing me a lot. But see, also, that's not the only way to use gifts. See, love and joy and peace, when you develop those in your life, those are gifts too you can share with other people. You don't just share spiritual gifts, but you share the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life when you use that with other people as well. So there's so many different ways that God's presence can be manifest in us as we care and love other people. But it's important to understand these spiritual gifts because it's a good way to bless people. And it's good to understand your gift because when you're doing it, it's fun. People with the gift of hospitality don't mind having people over. People with the gift of helps don't mind helping other people. So that's why we really want to develop these gifts. But before we continue on, I want to point out a good, uh, a good point by Dr. Sam Storms, who points out something that's very essential for us to understand about spiritual gifts. See, spiritual gifts is not like God is giving us this super external power to use. Kind of like he gives a superhero a cape. That at your disposal, you could just put on the cape and, boo, do whatever the superhero needs to do. And that's not how spiritual gifts work either. It's not like it's just become part of my DNA. Whenever I want to use it, I can use it. Because think about it. If it worked that way, a person that has a gift of healing, just send them down to the hospital and let's just clear the place out. Your spiritual gifts still operate under the sovereignty and the plan and the will of God. But the spiritual gifts I have is not this little commodity instead that I can decide to turn off and on whenever I want. Instead, spiritual gifts are always the presence and the power of God with us. It's God with us that gives us a supernatural ability. That's why Paul constantly referred to spiritual gifts as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're using the Holy Spirit, you're manifesting the Holy Spirit. See, that Paul's word to use manifestation was really strategic because what that word means is that the Holy Spirit becomes evident when your gifts are used. When you use your spiritual gifts, God goes public. And that's God's desire, is that he would go public through our gifts. And that's what he wants to do. God's power is on display when we use our spiritual gifts. And every time, too, we show people the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's God's power on display as, as well. See, the bottom line is this. God really wants to go public. God really wants to, people to see him. And God wants people to see him through each of us. See, on the day you're born, each of us received at least one spiritual gift. On the day you're born again, on the day you became a Christian, every one of us received at least one spiritual gift. Probably you received a whole lot more. Probably most of us are really not even sure of all the spiritual gifts that we really have, and some of us probably not even seen them totally stirred up, and we're going to be moving towards really understanding that at some point. But see, it's not only the gifts that you have, but Paul also tells us to desire spiritual gifts. He tells us, that's good, you just talk back. That desire spiritual gifts. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 14. This is this whole chapter Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. He says, let love be your highest goal. 
Let love be hard. That's what we pursue more than anything else. That's the whole Ephesians 3. Paul is saying, look, you all need to know how to receive God's love so you can give God's love. That's the starting point. We all need to know how to give and receive God's love. He says, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. We should all desire. That's what he's saying to each one of us. We should all desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the gift of prophecy. Yeah, he throws that one in there. The gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is one of those gifts everybody really desires more of it, but the gift of prophecy also comes with you can get in a lot of trouble really quickly with that gift. But Paul says desire that gift. Why? Because it's so valuable. The gift of prophecy can be used to turn a person's life around. A prophetic word at the right time in the right season is powerful because it's God manifesting, speaking to another person, saying, this is what I have for you. That's why Paul tells us a beard of prophecies to encourage, to comfort, to edify. But if you've on the other end of a good prophetic word, it is life-changing. That's why Paul says, desire the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy? It's a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to receive and communicate an immediate message of God to his people through a divinely anointed utterance. So there you have it. Desire spiritual gifts. So I think what Paul is saying, God will give you more. Do you really desire more? Do you desire the gift of prophecy? I'm going to pause here a minute before I get on to Gideon, and I'm going to ask each of you, would you desire more spiritual gifts? Would you desire more gift of prophecy? You online at home, raise your hand too. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know, who desires more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Let's just let, yeah, raise your hand if you desire more, if you desire more of the gifts of the Spirit. Sam, two hands out there. There's all going. But that's what Paul is saying to do, to cry out to God saying, I want more of this. Maybe some of you are like, I'm not even sure what this really means. I don't know if I want to raise my hand yet. That's okay. But let me pray for you. God, the word says, desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you've given to each of us followers of Jesus at least one spiritual gift we know for sure. But God, I'm praying that you would actually give us more spiritual gifts. God, I pray that you'd help each of us to understand the gifts that you've given to us. I pray that you'd stir up the spiritual gifts that are inside of us that maybe have gone dormant. I ask that you'd stir those up and they may, be, may they become activated. God, there's some people in here who have been given the spiritual gifts, but they're not even sure of them. I pray activation over each person here, over each person listening to me online, and each person that's going to be listening to me later in the week. God, would your Holy Spirit that is filled with power and presence activate our gifts, that even as we go through this week, may we be like, whoa, I'm starting to understand some of my spiritual gifts. Lord, would you reveal to each of us this week maybe one or two more gifts that you have for us? And God, we come before you a little timid and a little scared and ask, Lord, that you'd pour out more prophetic gifting on each of us so we could know what you're saying and we could communicate it to other people. 
especially some people that aren't here. And they need to hear your voice. May we be a church that encourages others. May we be a church that encourages the marginalized. In Jesus' name. So I want to close today talking about Gideon. As I said earlier, spiritual gifts, God manifesting that he is with us. See, I love the whole imagery of the book of Gideon that we see in Judges 6 that Donna read to us. When God called Gideon, he said to him, he said, with my presence, you have everything you need. That's what God says when he called each of us to a task. When he's given us the great commission in the book of the Gospels, he says, with my presence, you have every single thing you need. And I love the story of Gideon recorded in the book of Judges here. Israel, once again, is not doing very well. Some of you know the book of Joshua, the Israelites, they, they're, out of, they're out of Egypt, they're out of the wilderness, they're finally in the promised land, God's fighting their battles on their behalf, and then Joshua dies, and it's like Israel forgot everything God did for them. So they spend the next 400 years without a king and without a really vocal prophet. They spend 400 years, and they're going to be governed by 12 different judges. And these judges are men and women. And it's not judges like Supreme Court kind of judge. A judge is a deliverer. I love how the Passion Translation refers to the judges. They call them champion deliverers. And so we have Gideon here as one of the champion deliverers. Some of you know the name Deborah. She's another one of the champion deliverers that God raises up. And, and Samson was another uh, champion deliverer. And so, so God raises up uh, Gideon at the strategic time where once again the Israelites sin and now they are feeling the oppression of the Midianites. And the Israelites begin to cry out to God and they begin to cry out to God in, 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 in desperation. And I love how the, the scripture here and, and, and judges, it says, the Israelites cried with shattered hearts. And they cried out to God for mercy. And to be honest with you, I think there's a lot of people with shattered hearts right now all through the nations of the world because this COVID thing is driving people that have shattered hearts. I hate how hard COVID has been. And I know a lot of people are grieving and they're lost, but... We're praying to you for a cry of the shattered hearts to rise up to God, and God would bring his mercy to people. So what God does is for the Israelites, he raises up Gideon. He raises up this man to deliver the people. And see, the truth is, each of us is called to be a champion deliverer. Each of us has a calling, just like Deborah and just like Gideon, to lead people to freedom. Now, we might not lead an entire nation, but we might lead one or two or three. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, oh boy, that, that, nope, I'm not qualified. Nope, I'm not qualified, so that's probably for somebody else. Well, then you're in really good company because that's exactly the way Gideon replied when God called him. Gideon's first response was, mm, I think you picked the wrong person. See, when God called Gideon, Gideon was hiding. But Gideon wasn't the only one hiding. The text tells us that all of Israel was hiding in caves and they're hiding in mountains. Why? Because the Midianites were so mean to them. The Midianites would come in the night and they would trash their harvest field. Or they would take all of the all their produce that was growing. But bottom line is, they trashed their fields and they had no harvest and they took their animals. 
And so the Israelites are all scared and they're all concerned because without their harvest, they won't survive. You need harvest to survive. But see, the truth is, the church needs a harvest to survive as well. See, God has called the church to work in the harvest field, to see people that don't know Jesus come to Christ. And right now, there's an enemy that's been loosed in our harvest fields as well, and he's trying to destroy what God is trying to raise up. And that's why we need to be like Gideon. We need to have a concern for the harvest field right now. We need to be praying for God to protect the harvest field and praying for God that he'd send laborers into that field so we could bring in the people that need to be harvested. So fortunately, they cry out to God. And God told the people, as Donna read, I delivered you, I gave you what you needed, but you're not listening to my voice. And that's why you're getting in so much trouble. So when God calls Gideon, Gideon's actually hiding, and the text tells us, the Lord appeared to Gideon, and God said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. See, in other words, God said to Gideon, you're not alone. And I love how Gideon responds. He looks at the angel and he says, me? You're talking to me? I think Gideon was thinking, is there somebody else here that you're talking to? Because I don't really feel like a mighty warrior. We all know that feeling when God calls us to do something. You're like, I don't think that's me. And I love the questions that Gideon had for God. Gideon said to God, well, if you are always with us, why are there so many problems going on right now? And next Gideon said, where are these miracles that everybody talks about? I'm not seeing any of those. And Gideon says, God, it feels like you've abandoned us. Gideon wasn't the first one to think those three things. A lot of us think that quite frequently. And there's a lot of people in the world right now that are saying, God, if you are with us, why do I have so many problems? And you're asking God, where are these miracles I hear about? And it feels like you abandoned me. And I love God's answer to Gideon. God turns to Gideon and says, that's why I'm sending you. That's why I'm sending you, because Gideon, you're going to answer the people. And in verse 14, he says to Gideon, my presence, he says, with my presence, you have every single thing you need. And then he says, go in the strength that you now have. See, God's called each of us too to answer people that are saying, where are the miracles? Because God wants us to show the miracles. God wants us to display his presence and his power for people to see. But God says to Gideon, go in the strength that you have. See, when God first met Gideon, Gideon didn't have any strength at all. Gideon's actually hiding because he's scared of the Midianites. But once God called Gideon, you're starting to see the strength rise up in Gideon. But Gideon's actually not that convinced. He does ask God, he says, well, how is this going to work out? Because I come from a very weak clan, and my family is very weak, and I'm very weak. You know that excuse? Everybody in my family is like that, and so I'm like that, and it's just going to continue on. There's really nothing I can do. I'm just kind of stuck with this sentence. And this time God says to Gideon, he says, not only is my presence going to be with you, but my power is going to be with you as well. 
And that when you see a foreshadowing of spiritual gifts. When you have presence and you have the power that's going to go with them. Again, God's not giving Gideon some external force. God's saying, my presence is going to be with you. And then God says to Gideon, look, you're going to crush the Midianites as if it was only one person. Remember, Gideon only has an army of 32,000. This text Donna read to us said that the Midianites were so many, they were like locusts. You couldn't count them. And now God's saying to Gideon, don't worry about it at all. See, a consistent theme of Scripture is that when you start to and understand your identity, it starts to influence your behavior. And that's what God was doing. He was speaking identity to Gideon. Gideon, I want you to understand who you are. I want you to understand how my presence is going to be with you. I want you to understand that my power is going to be with you. Because when Gideon starts grasping a hold of his identity, he's going to start changing his behavior. So we all know that. We all know that you can look at a person's behavior and you can kind of determine the relationship with God. Not exactly, but you kind of get some insights when you watch people's behavior. And that's what God was doing this in this chapter. He's starting to change Gideon's identity. But Gideon also had that responsibility to respond to God. And so what, Gideon, what God said to, to Gideon, he said, um, you're going to have my peace. You don't need to be afraid and you're not going to die. But you're going to have to go over to your dad's house and knock down his idols. That's pretty risky to do back in Old Testament times. So Gideon waited till his nighttime and went to his parents' house and knocked over all his dad's idols and did the proper sacrifices that God had instructed him to do. See, what Gideon learned and what God's teaching us through this chapter is sometimes we have to break family strongholds before we can break things, other strongholds that God's called us to break. That's why that spiritual formation point is so important, part of you knowing how to use your gifts. But sometimes we have to take care of some of the issues that we have before we can do the big things that God's called us to do. So God has his army of 32,000 for Gideon. And I'm sure Gideon, a man that's experienced a lot of doubt in his life, wasn't too excited about only 32,000. And he's probably waiting for God to say, okay, I'm going to give you some more people from different tribes. But no, what God does is he decreases his army by 22,000. And then he decreases it by another 9,700. So Gideon is only left with 300 people. So an army of 300 is going to go up against an army that is too many to count. Doesn't sound like that's going to work too well. But see what God wanted Gideon to understand. It's the size of your God that determines your future. It's not the size of your enemy that determines your future. Your, your future is always determined by the presence and the power of God with you. And that's what Gideon had to learn, that God was everything that he needed. But I love chapter 7 of the book of Judges. Because here God gives Gideon an opportunity to be really vulnerable. It says in Judges 7 verse 9, it says, That night Yahweh commanded Gideon, Get up and attack the camp. I am giving you victory over the Midianites. Wow. 
Wake up, I'm giving you victory over the Midianites. And then God said to Gideon, but if you're afraid, if you're afraid to engage them, first go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. God said to Gideon, I understand you might be a little scared. I understand you might be feeling a little weak right now. And that's okay. You don't have to pretend you're someone you're not, Gideon. You can admit to me I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling a little intimidated. 300's not that good. God said, Gideon, that's okay. Admit your weaknesses to me. You don't have to go to war pretending you're not scared. You don't have to fight against the enemy pretending. No, come to me and be really, really honest. God said to him, go with your servant, Pura. Do you know what that word Pura means? It means God is faithful. That's what God said to Gideon. When you're scared, I'm faithful. When you're intimidated, I'm faithful. See, most commentators believe that when they said, go with your servant, Pira, Pira was the form of the Holy Spirit. God's saying to you, anytime you're scared, you just admit your weakness to me, and I'll send you my Holy Spirit to you because I'm faithful. Yeah. None of you have to pretend you're feeling differently. Isn't that good? Yeah. We don't have to pretend, oh yeah, I can battle with 300. No, I'm scared. God gives us permission to admit our weaknesses time and time again. And when we admit our weakness, He doesn't punish us. He says, I'm faithful. Here's my Holy Spirit. That's how God's presence and power goes with us in our weaknesses. We're weak when He calls us. And the day God says to Gideon, Get up, attack the camp. Gideon's still feeling weak. Gideon took God up, got up on the offer. And God showed him that he's going to win the battle. God gave him a little confidence booster. And that's just so encouraging to me. Because sometimes things look so intimidating. And our culture always says, just suck it up. God says, no, just be honest with me. See, God's only looking for three things from us. Are you available? And are you teachable? And will you try to be obedient to me? That's his list of qualifications. That's his gift, qualifications for gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are you available? Are you teachable? Do you want to be obedient? I like that list. You yeah. see, we qualify. Because Jesus does the hard part. Jesus qualifies each of us. Because in our weakness, we get his strength. So God, I just want to close today by thanking you for your goodness and your compassion and your kindness. Thank you, God, that when we are overwhelmed and scared and saying, God, I don't know how I can do this, 
that you say, I'm faithful. Let my Holy Spirit minister to you right now. So God, I pray that each of us here and at home, Lord, we would receive your presence and we would receive your power today, but we'd also receive the ability to be weak and to admit it. Help us to admit our weaknesses to you, God. I thank you that your faithfulness goes before us and it goes behind us and it goes with us and it goes alongside of us. I thank you, Lord, as you said to Gideon, you're saying to each of us, I have given you every single thing you need. You have my presence and you have my power. Now go, for I'm sending you. So God, we receive your commands today. We receive your commands to go into the harvest field. And Lord, I thank you that even in Matthew 28, 20, you say, and never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. God, I thank you that you are with each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So this is how we're going to do it. Greg is going to come up and lead us in the final song, and then we are going to conclude our service. And then we're going to stay here for a few minutes, and we want to pray for anybody who's feeling, who wants to be prayed for. I want to turn the cameras off because it's kind of weird to do it when you got cameras and here and there, but people at home, you are included in this. If you need prayer for anything, please text me. My number is 616- 422-0448. And I'll watch my phone and then we'll pray for you as well. We'll call you to pray for you. Um, and if you're watching this later in the week, call me and you know, you'll get me. But I want Greg to do the final song, close out our service. Then we want to pray for people. See, part of spiritual gifts, it's not always taught, it's caught. You have to catch it. You have to see it. You have to be in a practicum. And so some of you, you know, if you can, maybe some of you have to leave. That's understandable. But some of you that are here will stay here today. And we'll pray for each people because each of us has different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we start using our gifts in a unique way. And we can see the presence and the power of God. And some of you are sick. We'll pray for you and we'll ask God to miraculously heal you. And we'll just see what God's going to do is we're going to take 10 or 15 minutes to pray with each other. Again, if you have to leave, I totally understand. So Greg, why don't you lead us in our final song? And when he's done, um, God bless you all at home. Thank you for being part of the service. Would love to include you in this prayer time at the end. And just, I'm sorry, it's just awkward with cameras. But again, please text me if we can pray for you. 616-422-422. 0448 and text me anytime. We love you. Thank you for joining with us today and thank you for being part of this church. Um, we love you because we know there's a lot of our people that are, are at home watching and you know one reason or another they're not, they're not able to attend with us. So we, 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 you're a valuable part of us and we, we long for the day when we can be together and hopefully spring soon and we can go outside together. But bless you all and we seriously want to pray for you. So if there's anything you need prayer for, please let us know. God bless. Amen. I'm so thankful that God, uh, in line with what Jack was saying, that God 
never teaches the Holy Spirit never leads us or teaches us the otherwise seemingly wise worldly wisdom of fake it until you make it that we can be everything that we are we can lay all of our weaknesses down before God and that's when God can really use us he can teach us how to take the root of what's behind that that weakness and bring that character strength out and that's just such a powerful thing I um with what Jack was saying there was reminding me with regard to the power, the spiritual gifts and the power. It was just reminding me of the first time that it just, just it was like a bomb going off in my head. Just seeing where Jesus was going. He, he had purposely waited and now came to see the family and um, uh, to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's walking with them. And they're still all focused on he's dead, although maybe one or two thought you can still do whatever you want, Lord. But he knows what he's going to do. And if he were focused on that power or if he were focused on going through the motions and accomplishing this for the Father and then moving on, that's all there would have been. We would have just had that story. But we have that shortest verse in the Bible. He saw the struggle that they had he saw that the, behind that was the, the lack of the full understanding of how much God loved them. And in feeling that, he wept because he knew that the purpose for him to come here to Lazarus was not to raise him from the dead. The purpose was to show us all God's incredible love for us in every single way. It's just like it was so mind-blowing when it really sunk into me what that was about. Like a six eight. He has shown thee, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. 